This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center. The facts are this, Mount Bachelor, as the bird flies or the car drives, is not too far from the ocean. Lots of moisture flows over the flanks of the over 9,000 foot volcano in central Oregon, which means deep, deep snow in winter. And that's the case right now where the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center is loaded up with snow. It is midwinter in the home mountains. To learn more about the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center and their COVID-19 policies, go to mountbachelor.com. This is Jason Albert, and you're listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. In this episode, we speak with Zach Caldwell, Putney, Vermont Ski Whisperer and Wax Nerd. We've received here at the podcast several questions from listeners asking about the difficulty of waxing for both skate and classic, as well as ski selection when the temperatures spike beyond the melting point for snow. And this has been the case in Oberstdorf, Germany for the last week or so, which is the site of the 2021 Nordic Ski World Championships. So hopefully on the pod, we'll be answering some questions related to waxing and ski selection when it's warm. That said, it's a rest day at World Champs, so no race breakdown in this episode, just wax and ski talk. And yeah, we're, we're stoked to have Zach back on the podcast. Jess Cockney is the only repeat guest we've ever had. And now we have now we have Zach Caldwell on the podium, uh, which we're thrilled to have. And <laughs> and as as people at home have been seeing, like the pictures have been really fun. It's sunny. People seem to be enjoying themselves with cutting their suits into shorts or into short sleeves and and that sort of thing. But it actually becomes a real challenge for for the technical staff, all the people that are in charge of the skis, and making sure the athletes have the best skis they can. And and the reality of the fact has been that in the first couple of classic races, especially on the women's side. Um, faster skiers and American podcast, Jason's American, Zach's American, and, and the Americans have struggled with their ski speed in, in the classic portions while in the classic sprint, their skis were really slow. And in, and in the, in the pursuit, um, while I didn't notice it as much, Jesse Diggins wasn't that thrilled with, with the ski speed there. And, and, and we just got a lot of questions about what, why could that be? And, and everyone's hearing the term salt, salt, salt. And I think when we use the term salt, people think that it's like road salt, which melts the snow. And it's, it's a slightly different chemical compound, um, of course, and that, that they use on the course. And, but it changes the, it changes the tracks in a big way. So we'd love to, to start with that. Like, had you been there on site? Cause you've been at championships where it's been above 15 degrees Celsius and, and nasty conditions. And, and what are the variables that keep you up at night before big races like that? Well, most of the difficulty is experienced by the athletes. I mean, so everything changes around freezing, right? You take snow that forms in the air in these little crystals and it comes down and it's all storybook and beautiful. And then it gets, it starts to transform immediately at any temperature. But as you approach the freezing point, you get this kind of wild exchange of latent heat as the snow is melting, refreezing, and the interplay with moisture in the air and the whole environment, it, you know, the whole thing just goes off. It, it gets really, really crazy in a super narrow window. If you ever look at like a kick wax catalog, there's like two kick waxes for the whole range up to 
you know, within a couple degrees of freezing. And then there's like 12 kick waxes from minus two to plus two. And then it gets kind of simple again sure. when you get into the warm clusters. And I think Devin, you could probably think back to your ski fleets and, and see the same thing that like, Oh yeah, there were a few pretty good pairs of cold skis. And man, if, if you had had to like only pick two for your whole career, you probably could have, could have been competitive in cold conditions. Right. But, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you get into that range where the moisture starts moving around and that, you know, right around that freezing point and it gets wild and wooly, but then you get into the big clister range and yeah, there are variables for sure. And yeah, it's tricky, but honestly, most of the difficulty is that it gets slow and heavy and brutal, just so brutal on the athletes. And so any little miss on the ski front, gets really magnified by the physical effort involved in, in making it all go. It just is, it's just hard on the athletes. It's not like it's, it's not more difficult for waxers. I don't think it shouldn't be at least, I mean, I see, I see teams mess it up for sure. And I've been there, I've done that, but I think the biggest part of the difficulty is just the penalty is really, really high um, because, because it's so hard to ski on. And then, you know, when you add salt, I think, again, you add a huge amount of unpredictability. Like on the one hand, it makes the skiing way better while it lasts, but when it breaks, it tends to break horrifically and get really dangerous, like terrifying. Like, so, you know, the bottoms come out on the corners and all of a sudden you're, you're going from like what feels like a salted Alpine course into these deep holes and ruts. And it's just insane you know, what the athletes have to do and the athleticism required. And you can start to see that, you know, in the later races over the last few days, you know, the people who are moving their feet well and, and standing on the skis, well, they're, they're, you know, everything looks better. And it's, and it's not all because their skis are better. Some, some of it is, but you know, the skis look a lot better for someone who's not just off balance. So I, I think, I think a lot of the difficulty is really experienced athletically in these circumstances. And in fact, as you get above freezing, it just, it melts faster and faster. But by the time you're into like snow cone territory, it's pretty stable, actually. It's just water and ice. And like, it doesn't, it's not like it's changing all that dramatically. No, and one thing to expand on that, and, and this is something that I've, I've witnessed. And this is where like big tech teams that maybe people at home that don't follow follow high level skiing or don't know it intimately. What is crazy at these championships? So, so Zach, I mean, <laughs> you're not only an expert in all things equipment, but you're also an expert ski grinder. And we're not going to go all the way down that that uh, rabbit hole, but for just to just to quickly spell it out, like all all, all ski grinding is is essentially like pressing a pattern into your ski mechanically and into the p-tex the p-tex feels hard if you, everyone flips over their skis and sees that black stuff it's hard but it's not that hard and you can with the machines you can cut patterns into it to try and like get rid of this the, the water and dirt and all that sort of thing and and what is crazy is big teams so what i think is interesting is at these championships big teams have a, a big advantage when it goes to 15 degrees and one big reason is they travel with stone grinders they travel with stone grinders and Norway will travel with three different brands of stone grinders with them to championship. They have done that in the past. And, you know, German, German Bathlon, they had three separate grinding machines at the world championships 
uh, at the Bathbomb World Championships that just happened in Pokhlupa, Slovenia. And can you just talk about like how important it is to get the grind right when, when it gets warm? And not just warm, because the other thing too is people that have been following this championship and maybe following social media before the championship when it was colder, there was lots of snow. Uh, then it starts melting. It gets crazy warm. Like I said, it's been above 15 degrees Celsius quite a bit. And then it starts getting really dirty. So you have like dirty, warm snow. It's kind of like Zach saying, like falling apart. Um, it's a real struggle for all the organizers to keep these races together when it's melting so fast. But can you talk a little bit about like the importance of fresh grinds on? Oh, yeah. No, when, I mean, when it, the it's, conditions it's, are warm. It's critical. It's really critical. So there's, there's a lot going on here. So, you know, not only is it fresh grinds because uh, you want to be working on, on base material that's, you know, got some life to it, isn't, isn't all played out. And, and uh, in fact, in the wet, the quality of your base material is not the most important thing. The quantity of floral material you have piled onto them, it becomes more critical. But, but the, the quality of the structure, now you said when we, you started talking about it, that the structure is pressed in and we should make a differential. Yeah, cut. It's cut. It's cut. Yeah. It's exactly. Cause that, now we're going to exactly. expand on that. Exactly. Hand structure. Right. We're going to get to in a second. So I meant right. cut in. It's, yeah, a, exactly. it's a heavy machine and it's a stone grinder. So think of it, yep. think of a heavy stone spinning incredibly fast, cutting a pattern into the butex. <laughs> yeah. And it's not all that fast. You can put your hand right on the stone. It's not a scary abrasive, you know, it's, it's actually a pretty mild process because the material, this, the technology is, uh, you know, it's grinding technology is metalwork, but it's applied to plastics here. And it's, so it's a kind of niche, uh, application of a industrial process and everything has to be really built around the needs of the skis. And it's, it's a very, very mild application. The pressures are pretty light, but the result is, yeah, you, you cut a structure in essentially these things are like CNC lathes. So you have a diamond tool that's got an exchangeable tool end on it, you know, which is little uh, either natural or synthetic diamond corns that you uh, press, you push into the structure on what amounts to, uh, something like a CNC numeric controlled lathe and you dress the structure with a series of cuts that create a pattern in a negative form that then gets cut onto the ski to create, uh, you know, what we call a structure, but it's a pattern. It's a texture. Um, if you learn to look at it, you can really see threads moving in different directions and it can get pretty wild and you can, you can and do all these outfits are making compound structures so that you're overlaying one cut on another cut to create more complex interfaces. And, you know, we could talk for hours and hours about this. The upshot is uh, manifold. I mean, it, there are a lot of variables here, but one of the ways that a major team has a huge advantage with a grinder on site is that they can zero their testing process around known structures. So like they can take a bunch of skiers from a bunch of different brands and they'll go put them out there and they're testing their hand structures on the grinds that are going on the athlete skis. And then they know that the wax that they're choosing and the hand structure that they're choosing have all been tested on the grinds that are being used in competition. You compare that with a minor nation like Canada or the U.S. without an on-site grinding program or even an off-site grinding program that gets utilized. I mean, these outfits are taking factory produced race grinds and the each of the ski factories has a very professional, really good grinding program. And they've got great technicians developing structures on really like the same high end equipment. The quality of the work is very, very good, 
but it's all different from every brand. And so, you know, you got skiers out there on like Solomon and, and I'm, you know, thinking of the U S team with like, you know, Solomon Fisher and Mazatus out there for the women's pursuit, if I'm not mistaken, no Fisher fish. Yeah. It was Haley out there. Yeah, yeah she was. Yeah. Um, Solomon Fisher and Mazatus have wildly different wet structures, like different concepts exactly. together. And the, and the team is trying to generalize their lessons in terms of material testing. I mean, base materials are hard enough, but then you, you have different base grinds and it's crazy. Some of the best skis I've seen the U.S. team make in wet conditions were in Sochi, where um, the cross-country team collaborated with the biathlon program and had access to Muck Bauer's Wintersteiger machine, which the biathlon group brought over. And, you know, I know specifically, for example, that uh, Noah Hoffman's skis in the 50K, which were really like very, very good in that field, um, were with one of Muck's grinds, a seven grind from his uh, whatever that meant at the time from his machine. And, uh, I've still got those skis here. Um, that's fine. And yeah. So w- when you can control the process at that level, it, it makes a huge difference. And each of these companies can be producing good grinds, but you're never going to have an optimal result when you're starting with that much variability in the team. Exactly. And I think this is important for people to, that, that are really interested in, in these kind of things to, to, to think about at home. Exactly what you just said is this has been the struggle. This has been the plight of the smaller teams is exactly what you just said, Zach. And I know I'm just going to repeat you, what you said, but it is, it is so paramount. There is, when you, when, if you're on Solomon, if you're on Fisher, if you're on Madsus, if you're on whatever, if you're on a quote unquote team grind, then the technicians are out testing the grinds first. That's the first thing they test. Then they, then they narrow it down to the best two, let's say the best two grinds, let's say like a USA one and a USA three, if they had a system like this, then, then they can apply. They tell all the technicians for the athletes. That's like, listen, USA one and USA three are the best grinds. So forget about the other stuff. It's not working well. Okay. Then the technicians can start using this. What we've been talking about is hand press structure which is really just a handheld tool with a metal bit in it that you're just rubbing, like running over the ski that is cutting a new pattern. But again, where the complexity becomes is the grinder has cut a pattern into the ski, and then you're going to press a pattern on top of another pattern. And you need to know that those two patterns, the grind and the hand structure are are playing on the same team and not just going to get all janked up with dirt. That's happened to me a number of times in my career and it's super frustrating. Um, and then you go out and you test the hand structure on the grinds that you already know are competitive for that day. Then you add the next layer of complexity with, with the wax. And I know what people will say that, that know something about skiing. They'll be like, well, Devin, that's all fine and good, but we don't have 12 technicians working for, for the U.S. or we don't have 12 technicians working for Canada. And, and I agree. That is a huge challenge. No question. But when the temperature gets to 15 degrees and it gets dirty, then you need to come up with some, some simplified system to be able to control your variables. Cause the funny thing is if you don't test systematically like that, what can end up happening is you can be duped so easily, especially with these hand structures um, over the cut in grinds where your skis and testing in the stadium or on the test track will feel like lights out amazing. And then you get in the race and after three K it just, because of the dirty snow, it, it just jams up in those microscopic cuts into the P text and 
guess what? Your skis go from hero to zero. And all of a sudden they're like the slowest pieces of shit you've ever been on in your life. And, and the technicians are confused and they're like, no, 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 we tested, we tested a ton. This was the best combination. But if it's a 30 K race and you only tested three and a half K or five and a half K on the test skis and it's plus 15 and dirty, guess what? Like it's, yeah. So things get hairy in a hurry. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of, of, um, that, that, yeah, playing together, like that hand cut structure or sorry, the, the hand press structure with, with the, with the grinds and how tough that is. And then here's another question, another add on is why do you think it is that the U S or, or, or smaller nations just don't want to zero all the, the national team athletes skis. Yeah. Like, that's my, why question. wouldn't you have a USA one, yeah. two, three, four, like a USA one to let's say 12, 12 different grinds that you come to a championship with and all the athletes have, have those grinds that have been tested and you, you, you know them intimately. Like why would you go to a championship with your core national team athletes with all these different grinds on it? I, I know the answer, but I, I would like to hear your, your perspective. <laughs> Uh, that's one I'm not sure I want to touch because it's a conversation I've had a handful of times with people at that decision-making level. And I, I don't always agree with what they've done. I have, I have at, you know, at one point in time, you know, us was looking at putting a grinder in park city at the new center of excellence. And I was kind of like, why, what are you going to do with that? Like, who's going to run it? When are you going to have skis there? Like, fundamentally the machine doesn't do you any good without a program. And the, the biggest problem that, that we've got in the team budget is that they don't even have a, a single technician on a 12 month contract. There's no one right. whose job it is to develop that program over time to, you know, like, man, I, I, I don't know exactly how it is now, but I think Oleg takes that truck home to Estonia in the summer and like stores everything and makes all these arrangements. It's above and beyond, honestly, for the contract the dude's got, you, you know, you can't, you can't expect more out of what's going into it. But um, I actually, I, I'll go on record here and say that I argued against the truck when uh, the people who were fundraising for it were first talking about this truck. I said, well, you know, I think just getting a truck isn't going to make life better. You really need to invest in people first. And, and that hasn't happened with, with the, with the team, you know, like you need one or two people, 12 months, and then you can start talking about acquiring equipment for them to manage and run. Um, and, but Zach, you know, damn well that if Canada has a truck and Harvey and Kershaw are walking out of that truck, yeah, bus, I mean, Canada I mean, was like, what, second team with a truck or something. <laughs> No, no, not, no, no, dude, we bought Sweden's used, we bought the <laughs> yeah, first truck did. ever on the circuit. On the used but, market. <laughs> but, yeah, on the used market, yeah, exactly. But I'll, I'm going to push back one thing with the truck because I think it is, I think it is great that the U.S. Oh, I totally agree. And for, I, and for, I, and I owned for, up to for, being wrong. I, I, okay, I actually, okay. I, call, okay, I called good. up the, the head fundraiser, you know, halfway into that first year. Well, after, because I was over there doing skis for Hoff that first year, I think yeah, in the truck and, exactly. and I got back yeah, I and I, and I called the woman up and I was like, I was totally wrong. It's a game changer. Yeah, okay, good. Completely changes changer. the environment. Okay, good. Yep. good. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's good. That's good. So, but I do understand what you're saying about investing in people with you. So now you have the truck just for listeners at home, Zach, everyone's agreed. Like this is where the direction fists it's, it's, this is the one that dropped the ball and, and essentially made these trucks a thing because 
yeah, they weren't providing a safe environment. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. They weren't providing a safe environment and the engineering in these trucks to get, to suck that dangerous air out of the workspaces of the, of the technicians is, is something to be witness. It's amazing. Um, but that said, that, that aside, I, I, I agree with you. And it is, it is, it is, I agree with you in the sense that like having a grinder that is in the U S does nobody any good. You need to have that thing in Europe and with a, with the cargo van or something that's in Europe that you can, you know, have it somewhere where someone can be working on those grinds between races. And then at the championship, that person in the grinder has to, has to be on site. And that's just how it is. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something like, I don't know if I'm, I'm like spilling too many of the beans, but but Canada's done that um, the last few years. And that's really helped a lot that we have, but it was a real heavy lift to try and get the funding to get a grinder and have it in Europe. (laughs) It took way longer than it should have. Canada actually bought a grinder in Canada and that, that got kind of underutilized and really didn't go anywhere. Right. No, ex- exactly. And that's way back in the day, but now we right. have, a, we have a, we have a fairly new grinder that's, that we've had for a, a couple of years only that uh, is stationed in Europe. And, and that, that's been a game changer because with these changing conditions and, and getting warm and then also having some continuity with the skis of the athletes is like Zach saying, it's, it, it's huge. And, and we don't okay. have the staff in Canada. We don't have, have the staff in Canada to have a system that is so dialed in like Norway, we, we just don't. But, but the fact of the matter is having, having a grinder uh, in Europe has, has really helped the uh, consistency of the Canadian skis. No question. No one would argue that. So, so that said, that said, Jason, one last thing about this is like, cause some people now everyone's all confused that doesn't know the sport intimately. We're really sorry, but there was so many questions. So that's why we're getting into the nitty gritty. So I hope some people find this kind of interesting. The, but the reality is we have to say too, is like Jesse Diggins is on Solomon. And like Zach said, all these companies have great grinding programs. And what is an advantage for Jesse right now in this situation is like, we shouldn't be scared. The, the people that are in charge of grinding at Solomon are fantastic at what they do. Jesse is the number one athlete on Solomon. She has the best service by, by, the, by the company of anyone. And probably better than most Fisher service too. Honestly, Solomon does an amazing job with their service. They're known for that. So in she's getting new skis all the time that work for those conditions. And there's a great dialogue between the U.S. waxing staff and the service people of Solomon. So for Jesse Diggins specifically, this isn't as big of an issue. But for a, a team wide, if you start going out like 16, 18 athletes that are coming from all over the place with like, as Zach said, with like, who knows what, what patterns are grinded into their skis. It, it becomes like a real headache for the staff. And, and uh, I, I believe this is something that should be looked into because Jack, because Zach has said himself, uh, it's warm. It's safe. was super warm. They, uh, now it's warm. Listen, we're living in a reality of climate change. If we're going to have races, big, important races in central Europe in, in early March, this is just going to be more of the norm. And it sucks that it's kind of pay to play, but just throwing money at a problem isn't going to help. You need to throw money at the problem and then keep throwing money to have a system in place so that you can try to have a little bit of oversight for some of these variables. That's my opinion. Totally agree. I got an email from a listener asking this question. I don't know if you saw it, Devin, but you know, when, when, the perception is, or at least we get comments from athletes that 
the wax was missed in the pursuit or, you know, the, the scathlon in the women's race. You know, an hour and a half, two hours later, we have, you know, Scott Patterson and David Norris, uh, I think each respectively were top 20 in that race off the top of my head there. Um, and both of them, at least Scott in his comments was like, yeah, skis were great. Skis were exceptional. Um, both those athletes are on Razi. So just curious, you know, from your perspective, Zach, like how does a team, you know, do a quick turnaround um, in that time period to, to get solid product on the snow? And is that maybe a function of like both those athletes are on Razi's? Uh, it's a super good question. And it really, um, it kind of exposes how little we can see from the outside and, and how some of the, uh, some of what you read in the press may, might not tell the whole story. I don't know what to say. It, it like the problem when you're running a team based on like that, you know, sort of like it's all cheerleading and everything's good until you're, uh, top athletes decide that it's not, you, you just, you can't really interpret it. I, I don't know what to say. It U.S. ski team has not historically done a lot of great turnarounds on a bad day. I haven't seen that very often where you put skis out on the first race and they're terrible. And then like the system changes really quickly. Normally a good day is set up with quite a lot of background work in the preceding days and, and everything leading up to it. So yeah, you know, the, uh, the the fact that both of those guys are on Rossi might might really have played into that. Maybe there was something about like a Rossignol grind or the flex, you know, on the skis or something else that that was just kind of hit the sweet spot on that day. But we don't have anything close to enough information to assess the skis on that day or or like how the whole thing, you know, unfolded. I'm I'm left kind of scratching my head over but the whole situation to date. There are so many test keys that are perfectly prepared that are sitting there. And if you get feedback, no matter what, no matter who gives you the feedback, it could be your superstar. Or it could be like the person that just scraped onto that last fourth spot for the championship. All that feedback gets taken in super constructively by, by professional wax staff. And they're out retesting their test keys, going about it. And you know what? Like, I know at least like when I've worked with the Norwegians and the Canadians in those in those uh, environments, yes, I agree with Zach. I've never seen, well, I've seen it twice, but that's it. Uh, that that you that you make a whole new fleet of test skis and test that between a men's and a women's race. Uh, I've only seen that twice, but most of the time, you go back out. And I have seen, maybe not fifty percent of the time, but once in a while, that like that your second best wax or your third best kick wax all of a sudden, a couple hours later, when it gets a little warmer, a little sloppier, a little, it just like becomes your best. And all, all the guys have that all dialed in and it does not take them long to, to move to that third best, like in the women's race, rip wax and change it. it, it it's no big deal, but, but you're, you're right, Zach, it's a full scale change when you're changing everything, like changing all the glide, changing the hand structure, changing the grip wax. It doesn't happen. There's no time. Two hours is not enough time. So you need a good system beforehand and, and all teams, all teams on race day have a system to be able to move within the products that they've already tested for the women's race between sure. those. It's not hard for them to do. 
And one of the things that might have happened with the U.S. team is they might have just got a little ahead of the warming curve. You know, they obviously those guys exactly. are tracking yeah. the temperature profile every day, and they, you know, they might have waxed the the women's skis with wax that they knew was going to be good when it was, you know, hot and broken. And then it might've just not broken. It might've just stayed hard. And, you know, they're on, they're on kick wax for breaking tracks and they're instead skiing on hard tracks. And, you know, a couple hours later when the guys go, um, everything's kind of come into focus a little better. And and the decisions that they made the days before about the buildup on the skis started to make better sense. I mean, the guys have gotten burned by that one millions of times, like over and over again, because most of the times the testing is focused on the first race. And so often the guys have ended up on junk skis because everything was pointed at, at, you know, the first race and there's relatively little retesting. So, you know, it, it wouldn't be that big a surprise if, if essentially all of the testing and setup was kind of pointed just a little later in the warming curve. Yeah, and the other thing too, like like as well, uh, to Zach's point, like in the classic sprint, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to like pick on anybody. I'm not trying to, you know, I, you know, no one like I respect all technicians that do this with everything I have. Like it is such an amazing job everyone does. But but again, like in in the classic sprint, not to just keep repeating myself, but the the American skis in the classic sprint were obviously slow af like they were so slow oh man you don't very often see skiers of that caliber and skiers of that caliber like afraid afraid to stand on the skis around corners because they're going to hitch up and pitch them onto their nose like you know when when a sophie can't stand on her skis then like you got a problem yeah 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 yeah, exactly so so they they were really really bad and slow sorry in in the classic sprint but but yeah, like much to what Zach was saying, I, I didn't see, we couldn't see all that much with um, with the images on on the pursuit. But um, you know what, I I I hundred percent give the benefit of the doubt to professional athletes, like especially someone like Diggins. That you know, yes, she's not, and she'd be the first to tell you she's not the best classic skier in hard conditions, but she's made such great gains, especially this year in her technique and her timing and being able to have her weight in the right places in classic. Um, if, if she was disappointed with, with her, with her skis, like I have no reason to believe that, that, that she didn't feel like she had the equipment to, to contend. And I think instead of like, you know, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking here, like, like I just think it was just a, such a wonderful performance by both those, both those Alaskan boys to be 14th and 17th. Um, uh, yeah, it was. They were they raced beautifully, and I'm so happy that they felt that they had the equipment to, to make it happen. And I'm really looking forward to the races to come. And, and I do hope, though, I do hope that that um, all the American staff that is just busting their ass out there for these guys take a lot of confidence and 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 get some of their confidence back, get some of their swagger back after seeing that. Hey. Norris and, and Patterson had awesome skis, whatever adjustments they make, or maybe they didn't make adjustments. It doesn't matter. It, it, when the proof's in the pudding, when you're out there on course and you're seeing skis that are running really well, and you were the one that made that happen, or you and your team are the one that made that happen. Uh, I think it couldn't have come at a better time and they'll be ready to rock for the next races. I thought the skis in the team sprint looked great. Yeah, you know, I thought, sure. I thought, I thought, I thought Rosie and, and Sadie had, had great skis, super competitive skis right in the right in it to metal. No question, they're, they're to win. They had, they had awesome, awesome skis. So it looks like the confidence is back with the U.S. staff, which is awesome. And we've got some great racing to come. And 
and Diggins has been saving up for, for this big one. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, even here in Norway, like Therese Johan's just been answering uh, media questions all day long today about like, you got beat by Diggins in the last 10 K skate. So um, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of pressure, but the course really suits her well. It suits Solomon when it's warm and sloppy. Solomon's really good in that condition as well. And with all those great corners, I, uh, you know, I'm cheering for Jesse and she can't do anything more than her best. And uh, she's had a great season, not just a great season. She's historic. She's won the overall world cup and she won the tour to ski. So no matter what happens now, uh, you can't say it's a failure. Well, you could, if it's a failure, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you, but I'm going to stop short of the final little, uh, little platitude there. Like if it goes really badly, then there are questions to be answered about either the prep or the skis. Jesse's yeah, at a, or, or, Jesse's at yeah, a level or, where 15th again in, in that race would be, you know, that's, there are questions to ask there and that's fair. That's, that's, that comes yeah, with exactly. the territory. But honestly, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they'll nail it. No. I think, the, I, think yeah, they'll, and, and I think they'll knock it out of the park. Yeah, and the other thing too, if, if, no matter what happens, but say, say, say the world championship, but say the world championship, yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't click exactly like you wanted. I really believe, yes, I know Marv Bergen has been able to do it. I know she's won the overall world cup countless times coming to the championship and won like five medals. But when you try and reach for everything, Alex talked a lot about this yesterday, Jason, when we talked together and like, when you try and reach for everything, once in a while, you'll get most, but miss some. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so if, if like, we're, we're just talking hypothetical, but, but say, say whatever, for whatever reason, it just doesn't go for digging the U.S. women in the relay. For whatever rate, the big wins, they are so big and just start thinking and choosing our races. Now we've got to focus on our energy. Now we've got to spend more money and time testing in warm conditions, blah, blah, blah. And then, and be more laser focused. And, you know, Alex is the perfect example of that. Like he did that most of his career and was able to come to the championships ready to go. And same with the Norwegian athletes. I mean, every time. So it's, uh, there's always lessons to be learned, but I agree with Zach. There's no reason right now to second guess anything, uh, especially after the men's skis being so good in the pursuit. And then, and then Sadie and Rosie having a, a really solid outing there in the team sprint in, in really challenging conditions. God, that final looked rough yesterday. It was so, so deep and, and <laughs> yeah. kind of nasty conditions. And they, they skied, uh, they skied absolute best in the day and then came away with fifth, which is nothing, nothing to slouch at, even though I know they both were wanting a medal, but it shows that, they're not so far from it and there's some great opportunities to come. So I'm so pumped to cheer the whole, the whole crew on. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. folks. Okay, I appreciate, well, I appreciate it. it, man. I really appreciate it guys. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to our world championship coverage here on the podcast.